Hello, you are listening to the Secular Buddhism Podcast, and this is episode number 37. I am your host, Noah Roshetta, and today I'm talking about the art of self-compassion. Why are we so harsh on ourselves? Have you ever noticed how we tend to be nicer the further out we go from our inner circle? We're more harsh on a friend than we are a stranger, more harsh on a family member than we are on a friend, and ultimately we're just ruthless on ourselves. And when it comes to how we treat ourselves, the craziest part is that the person giving the beating is also the one taking the beating. Why are we so critical of ourselves? In this episode, I want to explore the idea of self-pity versus self-compassion. What is self-compassion and how do we practice it? But before I jump into that, I want to remind you that this podcast is made possible by the Foundation for Mindful Living, a 501c3 nonprofit whose mission is to make the world a better place by teaching people to live more mindfully. If every podcast listener donated just $2 a month, the Foundation could host mindfulness retreats and workshops all over the country and perhaps the world for free. Imagine that. Uh, People being able to attend a workshop or a retreat to learn about mindfulness, uh, that's possible. All you have to do is visit secularbuddhism.com and click on the donate button at the top of the page. And one more reminder, the Dalai Lama has said, do not try to use what you learn from Buddhism to be a Buddhist. Use it to be a better whatever you already are. If you're new to secular Buddhism or you're interested in learning more, you can listen to the first five episodes of this podcast in order. They are a summary of all of these concepts. Also, you can check out my book, Secular Buddhism, Eastern Thought for Western Minds, available uh, as a paperback on Amazon, ebook on Kindle, iBook on iTunes, and audiobook on audible.com. And for more information and links to those book versions, just visit secularbuddhism.com. Okay, with all that out of the way, now let's jump into this week's topic. Self-compassion. So first, how do we define compassion? In general, everyone has some level of compassion, excluding conditions of psychopathy or something like that. But think of the images of suffering animals on TV. I remember those commercials with Sarah McLaughlin playing in the background. You know, generally, we all feel a sense of compassion when we see stuff like that. Compassion when a family member or a friend or even a stranger is experiencing an instance of suffering. But why do we feel that? I think we're hardwired from an evolutionary standpoint to feel this way because we depend on the compassion of others for our very survival. No other creature on the planet requires the care and attention that a young human being requires to survive. In Buddhism, this innate desire to lessen the suffering of others is often referred to as our Buddha nature or the awakened state. It's a natural state, and over time, It's our concepts, ideas, and beliefs that can desensitize us from this natural state. So part of the spiritual practice of someone studying Buddhism is to increase that state of compassion to include all living beings, including and perhaps especially ourselves. There's a phrase or an expression that comes from a Tibetan Buddhist prayer that says, May all beings have happiness and the cause of happiness. May they be free from suffering and the cause of suffering. 
And that idea or that prayer is rooted in this practice of increasing compassion. Another idea that comes from the Buddhist understanding of compassion is, is that everyone deserves it. It doesn't need to be uh, quantified or qualified. Uh, you know, think about a dog that gets hit by a car uh, and you see it. You don't tend to judge the circumstances before determining if compassion is deserved. You just feel it. Uh, you feel sorry for it, and you try to minimize the suffering. You don't say, well, you shouldn't have tried to cross the road, see what you get. You know, we wouldn't do something like that. But why is it that we do that when it comes to humans, to human beings? You know, I've been robbed. Oh, well, you shouldn't have been in that part of town. Or, uh, you know, the, the, the horrible um, story of someone being raped, and, and it's like, well, you shouldn't have been dressed that way. Uh, and so many other similar judgments. And these are horrible because compassion doesn't require any kind of uh, judgment or, or qualification. And sure, there may be reason to analyze a situation and to be able to use wisdom as a tool to avoid suffering, like obeying the sign that says, warning, there are sharks in the water, so, so maybe you won't go into it. But once a person has gone into the water and they've been attacked or bit by a shark, and they're experiencing suffering, the compassion that we can feel to help ease or minimize that suffering shouldn't be entangled in the analysis of whether or not this person should have been in the water or not. You know, it's just not necessary. At this point, compassion is only concerned about one thing, to lessen the suffering that is being experienced. And there's no needment for judgment in that process. So I mentioned this at the, at the start. It's, it's easier to feel natural compassion the further out we go from ourselves. So stranger, then friend, and then family, and ultimately self. Um, so as a practice, if we want to increase our compassion for others, we should start with ourselves because, uh, you know, if I'm capable of deep compassion for myself, imagine that expanding out exponentially as you go out from there. Compassion for a friend might be harder than compassion for family, and compassion for a stranger might be even harder than compassion for a friend. So I think we often think about working on compassion or developing compassion, but we start with thinking of outside of that ring. You know, how can I, what can I do for someone else first? And if, if, if this was a formula where you're imagining these rings and the further the ring goes out from you, um, the easier it is to experience compassion. And let's say that multiplies, uh, I, I don't know, just any number by two. Um, then it, imagine the amount of work and effort it would take if we were starting from the outside of that ring in. You know, if I can get, let's say, the level of compassion on, you know, from one to ten that I experience for another, uh, maybe it's, a, let's say, an eight out of ten, and then it diminishes. Uh, eight out of ten for a stranger. Uh, maybe six out of 10 for a friend, four out of 10 for family. And then when it gets to me, it's like one or two out of 10. So if I'm trying to increase the outer ring by working with others, and I get that to go up one notch, you know, and then you, you use that same formula and go in, you, you're not making a, a big dent or a, or a big increase in the compassion you have for yourself. But if you were to do this backwards, if I was to take my, the compassion I have for myself, if, if it was on a, you know, two out of 10 scale, and I was able to increase that to, 
I don't know, 6 out of 10 or something. Imagine what that does to the number going out from there to family and then friends and then strangers. Uh, it's a lot like the turning uh, of a wheel on a bicycle. You've got the pedals that are attached to one set of, uh, you know, one wheel. That, and that is usually connected with a chain to gears. And then the, the gears can shift and they turn. Ultimately, the, the actual wheel is spinning. So if you're thinking the key to getting this wheel to spin uh, faster is to work on the wheel itself, you know, imagine that the, the bicycle is kind of suspended in the air and you're spinning the, the wheel. You could spin it faster or you, you could start with the, the smallest of all those things, which is the actual the little wheel of the gear, you know, where the pedals are. What if you made that bigger? Um, then what would that do to the, the ultimate speed of the tire? It would make it um, a lot faster. But anyway, you get the idea. The idea here is instead of starting from the outside in, what if we started from the inside out in uh, developing compassion? So this is self-compassion we're talking about now. So we want to start with this form of self-compassion. Now, when you if you've ever flown on an airplane, you'll recall that during the safety procedure, usually at the beginning before you take off. They'll talk about how if there's an emergency, these masks come out of the, you know, the top and always they always say put yours on first and then help someone else. And I was thinking about this on a recent flight uh, with my son sitting next to me. And I was thinking, man, I would want him to be safe first, you know, first thing because I care about him more than I care about myself. And then I realized, well, if I only have a matter of seconds and I were to pass out, then I can, I can guarantee he will because he can't reach it and he won't know what to do. And I thought, is it selfish of me to want to put the mask on first? And it may seem so at first, but if our goal is to uh, dramatically increase our compassion towards others by focusing on ourselves first, uh, then it wouldn't be selfish. Like the airplane mask, you know, I put mine on first because of how much I care for my son sitting next to me. So on one hand, we have this idea of self-pity, and this seems to be a default setting for a lot of us. And on the other hand, we have self-compassion. Uh, one arises out of fear, perhaps the fear of not being liked or the fear of being disliked, because uh, remember, we're hardwired to belong. And the other one arises out of love. So self-pity arises out of fear, self-compassion arises out of love. And there's an element of wisdom that I want, I want to point out here. In, in Buddhism, we're always teaching about interdependence. And we continually go back to this idea that all things have causes and conditions. Things inter-are. You know, the flower exists because of the sun and the clouds and the rain and the soil and so on. And suffering... Uh, fits this uh, understanding. You know, suffering is also interdependent. In the last podcast episode, I talked about this and how we can learn to look deeply at our suffering and to understand the causes and conditions. The absence of compassion uh, has causes and conditions too. So if compassion is the natural state that we experience, you know, and you can see this at a very young age, then we can look into what are the causes and conditions that may be preventing us from experiencing compassion. Again, aside from psychopathy, which you know is also a cause or a condition uh, that would prevent compassion from arising naturally, 
perhaps there are other causes and conditions. For example, prejudice. You know, if I hold a racist idea or a concept, could that be the cause or the condition that prevents compassion to arise naturally towards a specific group? You bet. And you spend time looking at how you see the world, uh, then you start to notice things like this. Perhaps you can ask yourself, you know, what ideas or beliefs do I hold that may be preventing me from feeling natural compassion towards others, maybe a specific group? Okay, so how do we actually practice self-compassion? I want to mention three steps to assist with this process. And step one is you practice being kind to yourself by imagining you're someone else. And I'll explain that. And step two is looking deeply at suffering. And step three is developing mindfulness or awareness around suffering. So starting with step one, practice being kind to yourself by imagining you are someone else. What does that mean? Uh, well, I've mentioned already in our society, it's much easier to be kind to family and friends than it is to be kind to ourselves. And fortunately, uh, we don't seem to treat others half as badly as we treat ourselves. Uh, I'm sure that you've, we've all done this. Have you ever said to yourself, you idiot, or, um, you know, you're such an idiot? Uh, what are some of the things that we say to ourselves that we would never, ever say to someone else? Think about that for a moment. Uh, think about some of the things that you say to yourself. Uh, Mother Teresa used to say, it, it's easy to love the people far away. It's not always easy to love those close to us. Uh, it's easier to give a cup of rice to relieve hunger than, it, than to relieve the loneliness and pain of someone unloved in our own home. Bring love into your home, for this is where our love for each other must start. And I really like that. And I would I would go further. I would add that uh, when we learn to love ourselves, that's when we can truly uh, learn to love others. But it, but it has to start with, with ourselves, and this is where uh, self-compassion can kick in. So as an example of, of being kind to yourself, imagining you're someone else, uh, just recently for me, uh, my business has been experiencing some complications and difficulties for uh, quite some time. Uh, a couple of years ago, I had a, a big contract um, with Walmart that fell through. And I've been struggling to recover with that from that ever since. And then it happened again um, about a year ago with AT&T Wireless. Similar deal. They ordered all these products, put us in all their stores, and then decided, never mind, we don't want to sell these anymore. And they take it all back. And, and a lot of these big uh, retailers are, are notorious for this. Uh, doing business with, with big box retail can be uh, really difficult for a small company. And I've paid the price for that twice. Uh, it's been such a significant price that I've had to pay uh, to take all that inventory back to scale down manufacturing that it's put my company on the, on the precipice of, of failure. And in the last few weeks, I've been dealing with a few other setbacks that have kicked in that are like adding, you know, the, it's like the, the straw on the camel's back. And uh, I'm in a very serious predicament now where I, I'm in complete uncertainty about the future of my company. And it's been stressful and it's been difficult. And I've, I've caught myself on occasions with how I talk to myself about it, thinking, man, you failed. What have you done? Um, and, and I'm, so I'm experiencing firsthand in, in various, um, uh, occasions 
in the last few weeks and the last few days, this sense of self-pity, you know, oh, poor me, or uh, self-criticism, you know, you're such an idiot. Why did you ever do business with these guys? You, know, you knew this could have happened again after it happened once. And then I started to uh, remember this, this concept of self-compassion. I started to imagine somebody I really care for. You know, in this case, my brother. I have a twin brother, and he's my best friend. And I was imagining, what if this was his company? He started this seven years ago, and this is his baby, and he's built this, and, and he's telling me what's happening at work. And, and just imagining him telling me the same thing changed the entire dynamic. You know, at that point, I'm thinking, well, geez, I'd hug him and say, I'm so sorry to hear that this is happening. How can I help you? You know, don't be hard on yourself. You didn't know this was going to happen with with these big retailers. And, you know, it was so fascinating to see how much easier it was for me to feel kindness and compassion by imagining myself to be someone else and noticing how harsh I could be on myself when, when I was just in this experience, but all by myself. So this is one of the techniques we can do. You know, if you're going through something, whether it be, uh, I don't know, you can think of so many examples, getting out of a bad relationship or running a red light and, and then coming down so hard on yourself for what you've done. Imagine in that moment, somebody you really care about, and now they're telling you what just happened, but it's them. And and notice how quickly that tone, uh, how, how quickly that compassion can arise naturally. And then flip it back to you and say, well, geez, why can't I feel that for myself? And what you should experience is, you know, uh, the opportunity in that moment to actually feel compassion for yourself. I, uh, I, I felt it myself, you know, in, the, in these past few weeks, in these past few days, this form of compassion thinking, you know, what, what I'm going through is a difficult thing and I'm going to do my best to, to get through it. And at the same time, I'm going to, you know, adapt and move on and, and all these things come to mind, but the harshness was gone the uh um the criticism was gone and self-kindness counters the tendency that we have to tear ourselves down i don't know why it's so easy to tear ourselves down but we do so this form of practice uh, being kind to yourself by imagining you're someone else uh, can make a difference so give that a try uh step 2 in this process is to uh, look deeply at the suffering and this was the topic of last week's podcast episode. Um, so in summary, I mean, you can go back and listen to that episode to get a, a much more in-depth understanding of step two, but essentially here is understanding that suffering is universal and life difficulties will arise and it's universal. You know, early on in the podcast, I, I talk about this and I mentioned the story of, a, of the bear, you know, you're hiking in the woods and someone warns you, on this trail, somebody's jumping out in a bear costume and scaring people. And now that you know, you can continue your journey knowing that when that happens, you'll still be startled, but how much more quickly can you recover from it? Because you realize, I knew this was going to happen, and it's happening to everyone else on this trail. Everyone experiences hardships in life. And our tendency is to want to think, why is this happening to me? As if I was the only person in the world experiencing, you know, the potential imminent collapse of my company or my business or you know losing a job or any other trial that you may go through in life you know 
as hard as it is to see this at the time, uh, it's important to understand that you're not alone. Everybody experiences hardships. Another part of this is understanding interdependence. And I think this is central to the understanding of self-compassion because uh, remember, looking, learning to look deeply, uh, looking deeply at an object, uh, you know, the flower as an example, if you learn to look deeply, you'll see that the flower is made up of all non-flower elements, the sun and the earth and the everything else. But we're no different. You are made up of all non-you elements, you know, starting with your parents, your culture, your society, your beliefs, your, you know, this doesn't end. It goes on and on and on, but you are interbeing with everything that is not you. And so you are interbeing with everything and everyone else. And I know that may sound crazy at first, but if you really look deeply and you see, that's what you see interdependence. You can't see something without seeing everything. This is a, a concept I really love about Buddhism. You cannot see something without seeing everything. And if you're not seeing everything, you're not seeing something with the right eyes. And I think we, we fall in this constant trap of thinking, uh, you know, things are supposed to go a cer certain way. Life is supposed to be a certain way. And then when they don't, uh, we think something's wrong. And this causes us to not only suffer, but then we feel alone in our suffering. You know, why is this happening to me? And remember, we're all part of this shared experience. And when we look deeply, what we start to see is that everybody experiences suffering. And sure, the circumstances are different. The degree of pain can be different. But the basic experience of human suffering is the same. It's universal. And while self-pity may say, poor me, Self-compassion is saying, I'm not the only one going through something difficult. And it can even take it a step further. It can say, well, now that I know what this is like, I can, I can help somebody else who's going through this. Uh, you know, So those are things to think about with step two. L learning to look deeply is understanding that when you look at something, it's not just that. There are always layers of complexity because all things have causes and conditions. So in the same way that looking at a flower and only seeing the flower is um, a narrow way of seeing, you know, looking at the flower and seeing all of the elements that allow that flower to be what it is, that's looking deeply. And we can do that when we look at ourselves and when we look at our own suffering. So that leads us to step three which is developing mindfulness or awareness around suffering. And remember, mindfulness is, is, is it's just awareness. It's the acute awareness of our moment-to-moment -moment experience with complete equanimity and, and balance. What does that mean? It means that we're completely aware that our, uh, of our thoughts, our emotions, and our sensations without this need to cling to them or to, or to resist them. You know, awareness... Of, the imperma of impermanence reminds me of the expression, this too shall pass. Uh, and remembering that, it's easier to be kind to the non-permanent me. You know, there's the me that thinks, that, that's constantly thinking, oh, this, this is going to be this way and what's going to happen? Because it, we, we tend to want to experience our moment-to-moment -moment, uh, experiences of life with a sense of permanence attached to it. Like, Oh crap, this is always going to be this way or oh man, I'll never do that again or you know, we th we think in terms of permanence and and the reality is there's no permanence to be found here. Um so 
for, for instance, rather than thinking, well, geez, I've, I've failed. If this company collapses, I'm a failure. I, I'm realizing I'm not a failure. I'm simply experiencing failure at something right now. You know, this too shall pass. Can you see the difference in those two approaches? You know, it's dangerous when we, when we get caught up in adding permanence to the way that we see things. And mindfulness prevents us from over-identifying with our thoughts and with our emotions. This is understanding that uh, I'm not angry, I'm experiencing anger. You know, I'm not a failure, I've just failed at something, at this or at that. Uh, being a failure is, is a mere concept. There's, if you think about it, you know, what does it mean to fail? Failure is always relative to something. There's no such thing as failure without it referencing something, right? I failed to practice my guitar. I failed to meditate. Um, I failed to uh, continue uh, holding a job or whatever it is. It's relative to something. Failure is always relative. Because there is no absolute in there, you cannot be a failure. You can't. Uh, sure, you can fail at something. I failed at a lot of things. We all do. Um, but we're certainly not failures because that's impossible. And mindfulness can help us to understand that through the understanding of impermanence or the nature of change. Things are always changing. So, uh, you know, if you're in a continual state of becoming, how do you fail? Uh, it's not over, you know. It's it's never over because change is the only thing that's always happening. So, there is no permanence there. And when your perspective shifts to allow you to experience this self-compassion, what you'll find is that you not only transform your own life, but it starts to transform the lives of everyone we interact with. Because when you become a better whatever you already are, it allows everyone else around you to become a better whatever they already are too. Do you see how that works? And so rather than starting with that outer ring, you know, what can I do for others? What can I do for friends? What can I do for family? Like bring it in, bring it to the core of what, what can I do for me? How can I learn to develop compassion directed at me and, you know, self-compassion. And I, I want to make a note about this because self-compassion should not be about trying to make our pain go away. It's not like we're trying to minimize the experience that we're going through. We're not trying to manipulate this, you know, the experience that we're having. Um, it, that makes self-compassion a new form of resistance and that inevitably, inevitably makes things worse. So I'm talking about self-compassion as, as the art of becoming more comfortable with discomfort. You know, self-compassion doesn't take away the suffering I'm experiencing. It creates space for it. It allows it to come sit at the table and be like, yeah, I'm going through this and I'm experiencing that. Well, let's sit with it. Come, you know, c come join us at this table, anger or sadness. Uh, let's have equanimity here. And that's what self-compassion can allow for. And it starts, it starts internally. So maybe what you can do is try this exercise for this week. You know, when you hear that voice of self-criticism or of self-pity, which you will, we all do, try to imagine for a moment someone that you really care about. You know, a parent, a sibling, a spouse, a child, uh, anyone. Imagine that they are the ones going through whatever you're going through, whatever you just did. 
you know, notice how the tone of that voice, that internal voice changes when you're directing it towards someone that you already care for. And then when you feel that compassion arise naturally, turn it and channel it towards yourself. And remember, if there's the you that you think you are, and there's the you that you that can observe that you, then you can certainly create a space for the compassionate you to empathize with the you that's experiencing the suffering. Now, if that's kind of hard to understand, then I'll, I'll leave you with this quote by Alan Watts that you can think about for the rest of the week. He says, there was, there was once a man who said, though it seems that I know that I know, what I'd really like to see is the I which knows me when I know that I know that I know. So there you go. Think about that. Mull over that for, for a week. Um, so before I wrap up this week's episode, I do want to share uh, one last thing. Uh, Leo Tolstoy says, uh, said, everyone thinks of changing the world, but no one thinks of changing himself. My personal goal is uh, and has been to teach mindfulness in a way that's universally accessible and easy to understand. And that's why I've started this podcast. That's why uh, the, the content on the podcast is free. It's open to anyone in the world. Uh, and I also have a book. It has more content that's available at, at a very affordable f- price. Um, but let's face it. While there are countless sources to learn about mindfulness or about Buddhism, uh, sometimes it's easier to just work one-on-one with an expert. Why? Well, for the same reason that people hire personal trainers to get in shape when they could just go work out all alone in the gym. Because having an expert to guide you and to hold you accountable in your practice makes all the difference in the world. So with that, in light of the recent changes that I am experiencing with my career and with my business and with my potential source of income, uh, I'm happy to announce that I am going to be offering one-on-one mindfulness coaching for anyone who's interested in deepening their mindfulness practice. And some of you may already know that I've been training rigorously for the past several years in a Buddhist lay ministry program, and this is exactly what I've been training in, how to teach mindfulness. Um, And now I'm ready to start teaching that to others in a one-on-one format. And I know that this isn't the right format for everyone, uh, but here are some of the things you can expect from one-on-one coaching. Um, What I plan on doing is putting together a customized six-week mindfulness coaching plan uh, designed entirely around your schedule. So there there would be six hours of one-on-one teaching and learning. Uh, It could be an hour a week. It could be 30 minutes twice a week. We could schedule that however. We would go over specific topics that are generally uh, barriers for mindful living and, and talk about you know, the understanding of these topics, how to over- overcome um, the barriers, and you know, just be able to look deeply at any specific instances of suffering that you may be experiencing at this time in your life. And just keep in mind, I'm not a counselor. I'm not a therapist. I don't have the answers for you. Uh, I'm here to help you discover your own answers through mindfulness in the way of the Buddhist tradition. So working with me, you would learn to make meditation a daily habit. I'll check in with you every day. And at the end of the six weeks, if you're not 100% satisfied with the coaching you've received and the knowledge you've acquired, uh, you would get a full refund. No questions asked. 
Um, now a session like this, six weeks of, of coaching, uh, would only cost, uh, $299 and that's to work one-on-one with me for a full six weeks. It's the same as the average cost of working with a, a trainer, uh, on your, on your body at the gym. Um, and I can only work with a, a limited number of people at a time because of the time constraints I have. So if this is something you're interested in, just visit my new website, noahrachetta.com, and you can schedule a, you know, a 30-minute initial consultation for free and see if this is the right fit. I can answer any questions you might have and give you an idea of what kind of expectations and how this is all going to work. Uh, or you could just contact me by email. Uh, if you go to my website, noahrachetta.com, you can click the contact me button and then fill out that form and that would email me. But this is something new I'm going to try and see. I've had a lot of requests from people in the past about, um, you know, how could I spend time studying with someone like you, a teacher, a Buddhist teacher who could explain all of this stuff in a one-on-one setting. And, and I feel like the time has come for me to be able to offer that. So we'll see how that goes. If you're interested, let me know. And uh, once again, as always, uh, if you enjoy the podcast, please share it with others, write a review, give it a rating in iTunes. And if you're in a position to be able to, I would encourage you to consider making a one-time donation or becoming a monthly contributor to the podcast by visiting secularbuddhism.com. Just click the, the donate button at the top of the, of the webpage. Remember, a simple $2 a month donation from every listener would easily allow me to take these workshops and this content to cities all around the country to spread these teachings uh, and make them completely available and free for anyone who wants to attend. I'm uh, trying the first of this format. I'm doing a uh, a workshop in Park City uh, on mindfulness here in Utah, and, and I'm so happy to be able to make that available to the public for free. Anybody can come. It's in an auditorium. There's room for three or 400 people. Uh, and learn these concepts and these teachings without any barriers. You know, if you can't afford it, you shouldn't be able to afford learning wisdom. It should be available to anyone, and that's why I do the work that I do. And then, uh, you know, of course, if somebody wants to wants to and can do one-on-one type co- coaching or learning, uh, that's available now too. Um, but that's all I have for now, and I look forward to recording another podcast episode soon. And until then, have a great week and until next time. Thank <music> you.